looking for love. And as, as you turn in your Bibles to 2 John, I just want you to think about the question, where do people look for love? And um, probably the answers are about as varied and about as many as we have people here. Um, some people may look for love in um, their school. Some people may look for love in a romantic relationship. Some people may look for love by having children. Some people may look for love by having another grandchild. People may look for love by, you know, succeeding at work. People look for love by finding acceptance within the community at large. People are looking for love. And all too often, as they look for love that seems so ungrasped, out of their grasp, they're looking in the wrong places, and that is why they don't ever find it. Or they don't find love that is lasting, meaningful, and deep. And as John is writing to the church, we've already looked at 1 John a couple of months ago in the evening services. We looked at 1 John, and repeatedly in 1 John, John <coughs> writes to his church that he formerly pastored, and he writes them and he encourages them to remain faithful to the truth that they've been delivered, by him, and he encourages them in the midst of living together to do so in a way that is built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, which, which means that they're going to genuinely love one another. And now in, in 2 John, John is writing and he's addressing a problem, it seems, within a church. And it, the problem is not that they don't love each other. Instead, they, they love each other genuinely, but there seems to be some maybe tension or maybe some pressure for them to love people that they shouldn't be loving. Because there's actually limits to who we should love and how we should love them within the biblical community of the church. And so John's writing to his elect sister. It's probably a, another church, and he sends greetings from the elect sister as well. And he's writing to the church and he's telling them, joy is found in loving as you should love. And so continue doing that. I think you could summarize the passage as a simple sentence, believers love one another. But there are, there are limits, there's a foundation, there's a call to this love, there's fellowship that's promised as a result of this love. And we're going to dive into all of that as we work our way through the text. If you would take your copy of God's Word and let's read through Second John together. The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth, as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we 
do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for these reminders that you give us, the call that you give us to genuinely, purposefully pursue loving each other in a way that is very unique and different from how the world loves others within their communities. We pray that you would help us, though, as we examine the passage to notice that there's more than just one command to love. There's also a command that we be on guard, that we watch out and that we separate ourselves from some. We pray that we would be able to be discerning as we think through this passage and that as we see those who we are to refuse giving our love to, that you would help us to more purposely, more intentionally love those whom you've called us to love, and that as we do so, that your name would be magnified both here in Des Moines, but also around the world as we intentionally and purposefully pursue um, meaningful relationships and meaningful love with others in the believing community. In your name we pray. Amen. <coughs> begins and he talks about the foundation for love. Almost, you know, everything has a foundation. My daughter, Anastasia, uh, one of her favorite things to do um, when she's stalling um, is to go and get her Duplo blocks and she'll come and she'll drag bag, it's like half her size, you know, drag it up to me and she goes, Daddy, build a house! And she then takes her Duplos and dumps them all out. Big pile. And what she wants me to do is uh, to build a, um, a wall around her, and she can sit in it, and she can bring stuffed animals into it, and her and her sister can tear it apart, and this is her house. And her house typically uh, doesn't make it much past you know two minutes after it gets built, because uh, she decides to remodel it and rearrange it. But what do I have to do as I build this house? We have a limited you know supply of Duplos, and she's continuing to grow, so... What I have to do is be very, very intentional and very purposeful as I build the foundation of her house. I try and make it, you know, past the two-minute mark into like the two-minute, 15-second mark. Um, you have to be very, very intentional and very purposeful. So what do you do? You grab nice, big blocks, you know, ones with like four pieces or so, so that you have like a little bit more stability just on the foundation. And then the little one pieces and the little two-piece, you know, holes, you put those on the top and they can kind of hold in the little parts that are not as firm. But we have to have a foundation, right? A foundation is what we need for everything. And, and so John lays a foundation for us as we think about this whole topic of love. You remember, we've already, we've already mentioned that people are looking for love, and all too often people are looking for love in the wrong places. And so the, the result that they receive is not what they want. A lot of times it's because they don't have the right foundation. And so as John writes to this church and he's beginning to address them on the importance of love and the limits of love, he tells them this is the shared foundation that we have. 
Now this foundation really goes back to who? It, it, it's not, you know, Duplos that have four pieces instead of, you know, one, two, or three. It says that the foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verses one and three, you'll see this very clearly as he writes and he <coughs> begins to address them. The gospel just flows through these verses. And I believe what he's doing is he's, he's reminding this church. This is the shared foundation that we have. This is what holds you together as a local church. This is what holds me in affection to you even now. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. That is a gospel word. And one that flows throughout this text. Numerous times you'll see this word, the truth, reappear time and time again. The truth is the foundation. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so he professes that he loves her, her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. So truth, then, is the dividing line for love in the local church. This love is genuine. It is not motivated by our selfish ambitions. Rather, it's motivated because of a shared bond in Christ. Notice he, he expands his, his sphere of love to the elect lady and her children. This is likely the, the church and the membership within the church body. He says, whom I love in truth, not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. He's saying, anybody who's embraced this set of truth the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ came in flesh he lived a perfect sinless life he did no evil and yet so that you could be declared righteous so that I could be forgiven of my sins so that you could be forgiven of your sins so that I could be declared righteous he willingly went to the cross paid the penalty for your sins and for my sins demonstrating love and the ultimate time And he's invited us into that relationship. And that foundation, that shared bond with Christ, he says, anybody that shares that is a recipient of my love. It's not any selfish ambition. He's not looking at this going, you know, this is a supporting church, and I'm going to really hype this up and, you know, remind them about how much I love them so they keep sending me money. I don't think that's the idea at all. Rather, he's simply saying, I have a shared bond with everybody who is in Christ and I love them because of our shared bond in Christ. And so the natural implication is that true love will develop for all those who are in the truth. And so there should be a growing love for God, but also a growing love that we have for each other as we grow in and know the truth more deeply. And so as you, as you think through this passage, as, as we talk about it some more today, I want you to be thinking through this question. Do I love as I should? Do I love as I should? Is your love for the membership of Emmanuel Baptist Church and other believers who are in your sphere of friends, do you love them as John describes his love? For believers in this letter. He says that the truth that we share in common should result in 
a bond of love for each other. And so true love will develop for all those who are in the truth. And the promises we receive through Christ's love should then motivate us to love as well. Look with me. Uh, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Once again, the idea of truth comes up. And you're going to see that once again in verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Notice what he's saying. He's telling us that there are benefits, there are blessings that you and I receive because of what? we have embraced the truth there's grace there's mercy there's peace you have not received what you deserved you have been given what you did not deserve you have peace with God the sins from your past the sins from yesterday the sins from this morning and the hectic getting together your family and getting to church forgiven. There is peace with <clears throat> And he says these are the blessings, these are the demonstrations of love that every believer enjoys in Christ because they're in the truth. And he reminds them of the blessings that they receive in salvation. And I think what he's doing is he's using this as an illustration and saying, hey look, see the amount of love that you have received from Christ? Go then and demonstrate similar love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because you have been richly blessed with God's grace, with God's mercy, with the peace of God, you go and demonstrate similar love to the brethren and the sisters that you know in Christ. And so this is the foundation of our love. It's, it's found in the truth of Jesus Christ. It's given us the love of Christ that's demonstrated in multiple blessings. The blessings that he mentions in verse 3 are, are just the surface of God's love that we have received. And he tells us very clearly these blessings are a result of the gift of Christ. Apart from the work of Christ, grace, mercy, and peace are not yours to possess. So we rejoice in God's blessings. We rejoice in the love of God that has been lavished upon us so abundantly. But, but John does not stop there, right? He introduces us, he tells us, this is the foundation. The foundation is Jesus Christ. And look at the love that God has lavished on you through his son. But after he does that, he moves on in verses 4 through 6, and he says, there's a call to love then. You have received much, you must also give much. You can't simply receive the love of Christ and then go and do your own thing. Instead, now he's going to say there is responsibility, there is something that you and I must earnestly, eagerly pursue with each other. And, and it's not something that's, you know, new. It's not like he's introducing this massively new concept within the Christian faith and he's like, hey, guess what? Uh, you have a responsibility within the Christian community to love each other. No, he, he very clearly in verse 4 or verse 5 he tells us this is not a new commandment. This is an old commandment. 
Look with me at verses 4 through 6. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I write a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment. That as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. This command is an old one. Obedience then will result in joy within the community. Verse 4 is kind of an interesting verse, right? I rejoice greatly. They had finally, I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And, and you might first read that and go, what's, what's John trying to say? Like, is he trying to say, you know, I was just going about my regular business on the other side of town, and I ran into a couple of your people in the local market. I was like, man, they're really demonstrating genuine Christian love. But the rest of you need to get on board. I don't think that's the idea. I think he's simply stating, hey, look, I came into contact with some of the people from your local church and the fellowship that we had and the love that I could see between them and the love that they showed to me, it was definitely rooted in, it was built upon the love that they had received in Jesus Christ. And this is the kind of love that we want to continue to encourage and see and it will result in joy within the community. I think that's the idea. I don't think he's saying, you know, some of you got it all together and some of you are like, you're practically unbelievers with the way you treat each other. I think he's just simply saying, hey, look, these guys are models of what we're all supposed to be pursuing. And so he tells them, continue on, persist in following after this command, this, this desire to love each other. And he tells them, it's not a new commandment, it's what they received from the Father, it's an old commandment. I think what he's doing is, he's pointing us back to some of the final discourses that Jesus had with his disciples in the Gospel of John. And as Jesus is nearing the end of his life, what does he do? He, he calls his disciples away from everybody else, and as he walks with them, what does he do repeatedly with them? He tells them, you have to love each other. You have to genuinely, truly love and as you do so, it's going to demonstrate itself to the world around you, and they're going to see it, and it's going to be something that it should attract them to you, and even if it does, and it, it testifies that there's something unique, something different here. Why? Because the shared bond isn't something that we all share in common, like a, a shared desire to have this type of vehicle, or a shared desire to live in the this section of the town, or a shared desire to all pursue this one career field, or a shared commonality in some other <coughs> physical way. Rather, the foundation is rooted in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for all of us. And so it's going to demonstrate itself, what? In both spiritual and physical ways, it's going to demonstrate itself by us caring <coughs> for each other physically. And so when we know of a physical need that one of us has, we're going to seek to minister to and care for that physical need as we have opportunity. But it's also going to demonstrate itself in spiritual ways. And so when we see sin in somebody's life, 
When we see somebody struggling through a trial or a, a difficult time, we come alongside them, we, we wrap our arms around them, we pray for them, we encourage them through listening at times. Maybe we encourage them at other times through pointing them to Scripture. Sometimes maybe we just simply encourage them by praying for them and acknowledging we understood and heard the pain of that situation. But it's calling upon us to love the community of Jesus Christ. And the result is that you and I will have joy. Something else that the world seeks after in multiple different ways. Whether it be by going to events, or by pursuing things, the world is seeking after love, they're seeking after joy. And what John is saying, we have this when we obey and live in faithfulness to God's word. It's, it's very similar to what we looked at in Deuteronomy chapter 6, remember? Deuteronomy chapter 6 brings up some of these same ideas. That love will lead to obedience, and obedience will lead to what? Joy. And the joy will lead to further obedience and a greater love for God. They're all intertwined. And it's the same types of ideas that John is building for us here. Obedience then will perpetuate the joy of the Lord. So I'm going to end because it's, it's rooted in something deeper than what is physical in this world. This love that he's describing is something that's rooted in it's grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The one whom we gather here this morning to celebrate and rejoice in his finished, final, perfect work on our behalf. And when our focus is more on Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he paid once for all for our sins so that we can stand as children of God, there's true joy in that and it should lead to easy demonstration of love from my heart to your heart and from your heart to my heart and from your heart to your heart so love will lead to lasting joy lest you think though that um, oops oh I know what happened I got into a conversation this morning and I never got back to finishing up this so you don't have any more you don't have any more um, more blanks because I got into a conversation and I completely forgot that I had to finish this. <laughs> Alright. Um, fortunately I have notes and you have notes and I'll help you out slowly I think. Um, but um, lest you think though that you know there, there's this call to love and we just go and we love everybody and we have no limits, no, no scruples with you know people. John says there's a limit though. This isn't a call to just go out and love anybody and everybody despite what they're promoting or what they believe. He says, no, there are definite people who are not pursuing truth. They're not pursuing Christ. They don't profess. They don't believe like you do. They deny the foundation that we've talked about in verses 1 through 3. They deny that they have the grace of God. They deny that they have the mercy of God. They deny that they have the peace of God. They do not hold to truth. And such people are not to be the recipients of this is really kind of like step back with that message, especially in our culture, right? Like, whoa! Love wins, and 
love is love, and these are the these are the phrases that are thrown around in American culture today, frequently. And what John is proposing here is something that is starkly in contrast to the the message of our day. And so let's look at that. Verses seven and following are going to outline exactly what he means by this love and the limit to love. Uh, verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves, that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your household, nor greet him. For we, he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. All the way through verse 11. The call to love, then, is limited. Oops, I need to stop holding that I'll click it every time I'm not supposed to. Uh, the call to love is limited. And what he's doing is he's outlining who specifically this call to love is limited from. He says there's deceivers who have gone out into the world. And what are they doing? They're denying basic foundational principles of the truth of Jesus Christ. They're denying that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. They're denying... These specific people that he's telling you do not demonstrate this kind of love to them. They're denying that Jesus Christ was a person that came to the earth. That's how he summarizes it. And he says, these people are fakes. They're not real. They don't believe what you and I believe. They don't have the foundation that you and I have. So they can't share in the common bond of love that brings about the joy that I've described. Do not join with them. And so those individuals are not included in the summons to love. And he, he goes on in verse um, verse 8, and he says, Look to yourselves, or, or be on guard for false teachers. Be on guard for false teachers. And, you know, when I, when I was first reading through this, I'm like, what exactly is the warning? What exactly are the consequences? And, you know, some, some people are trying to propose that maybe it's a loss of salvation on the part of those who love who they should not love. I don't think that's the idea here, though. Because he doesn't say you're going to lose your full re your, your reward. He says you're going to lose your full reward. The idea is that you and I could love people who are denying the basic tenets of Jesus Christ. We could support them, promote them in their efforts, and as a result, we're, we're promoting a false gospel that's not true to the, the scriptures. And he says, if you do that, you're not going to get the full reward that you could have gotten. Because you are, you are joining in and supporting something that is contrary to the foundation that we profess. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. He goes on and he specifically describes um, what this test should look like. And, and he tells us that we're supposed to test those who abide in the teaching of Christ. Test those who abide in the teaching of Christ. 
And how do we test that? I think it, it goes back to what is the teaching of Christ that we have? And are what people saying in alignment with the person and work of Jesus Christ? Or are they somehow denying something that's a key component of who Jesus Christ is? Is the virgin birth necessary for the gospel message? Yeah. Is the truth that Jesus Christ came in flesh as a human being and lived among sinful humanity imperative for the gospel message? Yes. Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ imperative for the gospel message? Yes. And when we look at somebody and we go, no, what you're, what you're saying and what my Bible says aren't matching up, you're not preaching the truth of Jesus Christ. What he's telling us is you test those people and you avoid them. Why? Because your assistance may unintentionally promote a false gospel. Your assistance may unintentionally promote a false gospel. And so he says at the end, And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. This is in a time where most of the people who were ministering were itinerant ministers. And so people would often go from town to town preaching the name of Christ. And as they came to various towns, they didn't go to the hotels of those days because they had all sorts of problems. So they would go to homes of people from churches in that town. And they would stay there with them. And what he's saying is, if you allow those people to come in and stay with them, you are hospitable to them, and you care for their physical needs while they're in your town, but they're promoting a false gospel, you are unintentionally joining in their evil deeds. That's what he says at the end of verse 11 and verse 12. And so he very specifically says, don't even greet them, for he who, share, who, he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. It's interesting because this idea of greeting has been a common occurrence, and it will continue. Verses 1 through 3 are a greeting from a believer to another group of believers. And at the end of the letter, what does he do? He sends another greeting from a group of believers to another group of believers. But he very specifically says, do not greet these people. In a culture where greeting was, you know, a lot more important than it is in our day. And then he ends with this. The fellowship that comes as a result of love. The fellowship of love, verses 12 and 13. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister, sister send you greetings. Amen. True love is an experience in relationships. And so he has no desire to simply write to them and tell him everything that he has to tell them. Instead, he has a desire to come and experience true love through his relationships with them. And then joy is a direct result of believers living in loving relationships with one another and the Lord. Joy is a direct result of believers living in loving relationships with one another and the Lord. And so he's looking forward to this time where he will be reunited with the whole church, not just the few people that he met at whatever location he met them that he describes in verse 4, but he looks forward to a day when he'll be gathered with the whole church and be able to enjoy fellowship with all of them. And as he sees their love for one another and his love for them and their love for him, and as it's demonstrated what he said, he says, 
our joy may be full. Why? It's because, in verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace be with us. And so he ties it all together. The, the foundation of love is a shared bond we have in Jesus Christ and the love that we've received from Christ Jesus. And he says that love is supposed to be transferred then to other believers. I think specifically the primary application that, that John has in mind here is in reference to missions work, the, the primary idea. Okay, especially in verses um, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, it's very obvious that he has missions in mind. He's saying be very careful with, with who you allow yourself to support financially. Because not everybody agrees with you. So be cautious, be careful. But I do think that while that's the primary application, I think that there are many implications and applications that you and I can make from this passage as we think about just how we relate to one another. And so a couple of big ideas as we as we conclude here. Lasting, deep love is found only in the gift of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Lasting, deep love is found only in the gift of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so while people look for love in, in many, many places, lasting, deep love is found only in Jesus Christ. Christ's love should stir our hearts to love other believers. Christ's love should stir our hearts to love other believers. Love is limited by those who reject the truth of Jesus Christ. Love is limited by those who reject the truth of Jesus Christ. It is not you limiting the love, it is them limiting the love. Why? Because they failed to believe the gospel as it has been delivered. They limit the love. You're supposed to exercise that limit. But they've limited it by their belief system. And then love provides deep fellowship and lasting joy. Love provides deep fellowship and lasting joy. And so as we think about application, we're going to try, um, try and help us think through in more detail tonight through some of this application. That's one of the things I'm <coughs> hoping we'll um, benefit from with um, small groups. Let me just try and give you some ideas that maybe start to help you think through some of these ideas. But how do we how do we work through and think through applying these principles? I think you and I are to rejoice in the love of Christ that we receive. Christ's love is beautifully portrayed to us and described for us in verses one through three. And if you're with us and you are uncertain about whether or not you are a recipient of Christ's love, let me encourage you to come and talk with me or talk to somebody else. Christ has demonstrated his love by dying on the cross for your sins, and he can make you righteous through your faith. Nothing else will do it. Rejoice in the benefits that we've received. We have grace, we have mercy, we have peace. Why? Because of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Apart from that, there is no grace. There is no mercy. There is no peace with God. We are left to our own devices. And we flounder around without hope. And so you and I today have true, genuine, lasting hope. And so we rejoice in that. 
I think one of the things that you and I should do is we should be praying that God would help us to love people to a greater degree. Love is one of those things within the church that is always difficult. Right? Because we get frustrated easily enough with people in our own families that we have uh, more, more deep relationships with the times. The same thing happens within the church. And it requires us, depending upon the Spirit of God, using God's Word, and the people of God, ministering in our hearts so that we maintain the love that we're supposed to have for one another. We should pray that as we pursue the genuine love that's being described in Second Job, that the results would be that people would come to Christ for the sake of Christ's name. That His name would be glorified through our love as it's portrayed in our community. We should repent of evidences within our own life where we have failed to love fellow believers as we should. And then finally, I would encourage you to think through this. Maybe write out one sentence that describes what will limit your love within the Christian community. That isn't to say that, you know, somebody who denies some of these basic components of Christianity, you're not going to love in a different way as a human being who is image bearer of God. But it will limit some things that you might say or do for that person because supporting or encouraging that person is supporting or promoting a false gospel. John is calling upon you and I to meditate upon the mercy, grace, and peace of God that we receive, the love of God that we see in our relationship with Him, and to go and to reduplicate that for the sake of the gospel in our community. Will you join in that task? Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the love that you've demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ, to your Son. Thank you that you are willing to give your son to us. Allow him to go to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can receive your gift of love. We pray that as we meditate upon your sacrificial love, that it would encourage our hearts, that it would motivate us and stir us to demonstrate similar love to the people that you've placed in our lives. We thank you. We praise you for who you are and what you've done. In your name we pray. Amen.